Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to give a shout out to three new Patreon supporters. They are Dave Jones, Amador Vargas, and Gretchen D'Angelo. Thank you so much for your support. And I want to clear up some confusion about the difference between Patreon supporters and our recent giving campaign that we mentioned on social media. Uh, if you want to make a tax-deductible donation, but you don't care about the, the giving perks, the pint glasses, t-shirts, and all that stuff, but you do you want to make a tax-deductible monthly gift, go to donate.liturgy.online. If you don't care about the tax deduction, but you want the t-shirts, pint glasses, all that type of stuff, go to patreon.com slash liturgy. It's really up to you. Both of those uh, giving structures will help support this podcast. So thank you so much for your support. And please consider helping us out. We are trying to reach 200 new $20 a month donors by the end of the month. So please, please consider helping us. One more thing, really big news with our online study program two things actually one we're releasing a new class today and you can go to liturgy.online to check it out it's a class by our very own dr dennis mcnamara on the theology of liturgical music this is an amazing class i'm so excited to put it out there so go to liturgy.online you can get the course for half off just check our twitter feed uh facebook we'll be having some coupons and some sales on there for you get it half off uh for the first two weeks of this product launch it's an amazing class. And then next month, we're going to be launching a subscription model for our online study program. So if you want to wait till January to get that class, we are going to release a monthly subscription where you can get any of our classes plus a new class every month for $37 a month. So if you're interested in subscribing to get unlimited content, we will have that available in January. So Enough with all of that uh, detail. If you have questions about any of that, please reach out to us. I'm more than happy to, to provide more clarification. So without further ado, the Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Hey, hey, guys. Yo, Jesse and Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Chris and Jesse. <laughs> That's probably more appropriate. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through the triple C again. Um, the did you come up with a rap? CCC no. with the ASAP. No, you want to know why? It's because we're recording this right after we recorded the last Don't episode. Don't say Jesse. that. Come oh. on. You're going to edit these over time. You have plenty of time to come up with a rap. Sorry, did I break the fourth wall or something? And the liturgical <laughs> etymology theme song, too. You have nothing else to do. <laughs> That's true. I have nothing else to do. I have much better things to do than to sit around and listen to you guys complain about me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Blankety blank. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we're talking, last week we talked about uh, the Father's work in the liturgy, or Father uh, as the source of you the mean liturgy. Like 10 minutes ago, is that what you were talking about? <laughs> Dennis! That was last oh. week, Dennis? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> You're ruining the mystery, the mystagogy. Anyway, we're talking about the Father's work in the liturgy. And now we're going to talk about the Son's work. But hey, Chris, or Jesse, one of you, 
Yes. How can we say that God works? God doesn't work. Work is a result of the fall and it's effort and labor and it's <laughs> not something well, that we like. Didn't God become Christ and then Christ had to work on our behalf as humanity? And so what? because the Father is the Son and the Trinity, God oh, so also works. No, no, stop. Stop. <laughs> am, I, am I ruining your life? Well, God didn't become no, the son. I, yeah, you want, I think you want you're some wandering into no, no, Trinitarian oh, no, no, no. heresies <laughs> and things there. Just, That's not what I meant. You know what I mean. Let me introduce you to a person named Arius. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he I don't want to get... over for dinner. I do not want to get slapped. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, what Santa were you saying Claus. about work, work Chris? Uh, well, let's see. I think I... First, I would say that work isn't a result of the fall. Adam had to work before the fall, so man is meant to man is meant to work. Now, our work is much more laborious and awful and things like that, but work isn't a result of the fall. And I would say too that don't think of it as work as you know the forty hours or whatever it is, uh, but as activity. Uh, it's the highest form of activity because um, it adores and glorifies God and sanctifies creation. So that's kind of the the work of the Trinity is to glorify God. It mm-hmm. seems, you know, we talk about this before. It seems kind of odd that God would glorify himself. I mean, if Jesse were glorifying himself, we'd say he's, you know. And I always am. Yeah, full mm-hmm. of himself. But Jesse's not God and God's not Jesse. And gods are meant to be glorified. Wait, wait, wait. Jesse's not God? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody told me that. Uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> So no, yeah, so, so God yeah, works is accomplishing it, something in us, right? Yes, that, that's what we can talk about. Our salvation Work. unto His glorification. Yep, right. So that's how God does. So it. the Father begets the Son, in thinking of Himself. You know the old psychological analogy: they're commun- they're connected in love, which is the third person of the Holy Spirit. But then, in God's own wisdom, He wants to create the world, right? And in man's lack of wisdom, He turns away from God's offer of divinization, and then He's got to work, quote unquote, to get us back. I'm not going to leave you the lost sheep out there in the ditch, subject to wolves. I'm going to send the good shepherd. I'm going to send my son, the second person in the Trinity. Essentially, I'm going to send to myself and pour out my love for you. And so there you have God's good word spread around. And now we have Christ's particular role in salvation, Christ's work in the liturgy. All right, so Chris, say something geniusly smart. Well, I think I just I made up a word. How, how, did, how did the second person of the Trinity work? in the age of the promises by foretaste by preparation yeah yeah but he was working right he a uh, hidden way in a hidden way jesus is well the second person of the trinity is present and active albeit in a hidden way throughout the time of the old covenant okay? how did the second person of the trinity work in uh 2000 years ago he came as incarnate uh yeah appearance of man and actually became man in addition yeah. to his divinity he walked around and he healed people and he yeah. gave his own body and he instituted baptism and he made promises about the holy spirit showing up right and so he, all that so he worked in an incarnate way mm-hmm. uh, at his eponymous incarnation yes okay so how does the second person of the trinity work now in the age of the church through the church right the church as this mystical body it's continuing action of christ in the world and it's composed of us it symbolizes him of course his headship is still running but it's now sacramentalized in head and members of different levels in the world is that right i think it's right and how does the church work 
by principle. I mean, she works in per, many ways. By sacramentalizing Christ and Christ's Man. action. That's okay. right. Whew. Wow, so 10, I like, 1084, I feel like Jesse which now. is uh, Christ's work in the liturgy. <laughs> All these questions it I have says, to answer. It says, seated at the right hand of the Father and pouring out the Holy Spirit on his body, which is the church. Mm-hmm. Points for you, Dennis. Christ you. now acts or works through the sacraments he instituted to communicate his Christ life. The sacraments hey, wait, are... that says grace. It doesn't say Christ life. <laughs> Chris, you liturgical movement scoundrel. <laughs> Why, I, thought it, too- I thought it said face. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you say Christ's life instead of grace? Because uh, we're in the midst of a, of a LI liturgical movement class. And so we've been studying liturgical movement figures and their, their preferred term for grace is Christ's life. Yeah, which is pretty good. It's like the very life of God through Christ given to us to sort of turn up the voltage of divinization in us. Yeah, so he, and he's giving, he's communicating, manifesting, revealing this divinization, this Christ life to us as we are living in active cells of the mystical body and also through the sacraments. So just to wrap up, 1084 sacraments are perceptible signs, words, and actions. <laughs> this is another good et- etymology like we've done before. You know, it, uh, things that are made of uh, body and soul. Uh, matter and form are called Aristotle. Remember your Aristotle days? Matter and form? Yeah. What are things that are made of matter and form? Called? Hylomorphic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so do you, know, do you know, yeah, great. Do you know the etymology of hylomorphic? Uh, morph means shape, right? Uh, or... Yeah, yeah. Well, form or we, in terms of sacraments, we would call the form or the formula, kind of the words that give shape to the the, to the hele, to the to the matter. But okay. Do you know what hele means? Actually, I it's don't. Simply matter, but wood. 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 Yeah. So sacraments are made out of words and wood. Wood. Wow. Right? And what's the fundamental sacrament? What's the ultimate Christ. reality? Christ where? The crucifixion on the tree. Exactly. The wood. So the when you have the word upon the wood. Christ on the cross is sort of that that most excellent of sacraments that is now communicated through the seven sacraments, through the church, through the sacramental. That's a band name, Jesse. Yeah, and if I don't talk for the next uh, 10 minutes, it's because I'm processing what you just said. So at 1084, so the sacraments are perceptible signs, words, and actions accessible to the human nature. Uh, the action of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, they make present efficaciously the grace that they signify. All right. That last phrase, let's, let's, let's break it down now, right? The action I, of Christ. Sorry, I thought we were doing an etymology episode there. Well, was... we kind of are. Yeah, you should, <laughs> you should have saved, saved it one. for the next one. Yeah, well. But Christ is acting, right? Working. He's sent by the Father to do this. And the power of the Holy Spirit, they make present. That's not just Toham. There's that white round piece of bread that the priest said magic words over and now it reminds me of something in heaven. It's the opposite of that, right? It's the sacramentalizing, the making active and present in the world. And then efficacious, it does what it says. It signifies it. You know what it's about, but then it actually does what it says. Very easy to blow by the immensity of that idea. Can I, can I go back into the liturgical movement class here? Sure. Okay. So in 1085... <laughs> this really oh, is like the liturgical oh. movement class. 
Uh, okay, so Christ worked in a hidden way in the time of the promises, in an incarnate way 2,000 years ago, and he continues to work now in a sacramental way. Okay. Yeah. At 1085, in the liturgy of the church, it is principally his own paschal mystery that Christ signifies and makes present. Yeah, okay, so, let's look at that. Um, in the economy of salvation, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, for 33 years he talked and walked and lived and acted and the rest. But the pinnacle of his work was the Paschal Mystery, the suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension by which he passed. He build, built this bridge between fallen earth and glorious heaven. And let's call mystery sacrament so we know a little more specifically what it means, right? The sacramental reality in matter, in act, made real in the world and active. Yeah, well, uh, who, uh, yeah, but, but this term mystery, mm -hmm. who, who is a big uh, uh, mystery fan in the liturgical movement? Mr. Odo. Castle. Sir Castle. Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I well, see, see, this is a, this is a, this is, this would be another good etymology. All right. So on the one hand, we use the term mystery as something that we don't know. Okay. Or can't, it's meant to be kept a secret. So Sherlock Holmes or, you know, yeah. whatever. That's that post enlightenment misunderstanding. Yeah. But in the Catholic tradition, actually, this is a difficult concept uh, for me that I've been thinking about for a long time. I mean, not all the time for a long time, but yeah, sure. for us uh, in the Christian tradition, it's not quite the same. While there is an element that our finite and fallen minds can't see and never can or will see, uh, the Christian mystery is not something that's to be kept secret. It's just the opposite, right? It's supposed to be revealed, which is why God sent his son, the, the zenith of the plan of the mystery, okay? Sent him to announce and to teach and reveal and to epiphanize the great master plan of God. And so this sense of mystery, not the Arthur Conan Doyle sense, but this latter sense of a revelation of God's great design is what we mean by mystery. And this was, Dennis, your friend Odo Kozel's, or Cassell, I don't know how you say his name actually, uh, would understand the mystery. So he, his famous book was called something like Das Christliche Kultmysterium. <laughs> That's so good. The Christian mystery. The Christian mystery. The Christian, it literally means the Christian cult mystery, but in English oh, they thought yeah. cult sounded bad, so they took it out. Oh. Or so worship what, mystery. What Kozel's thinking was on the Christian mystery is what is made present in the liturgy is not simply the effects of the sacraments, not simply grace, uh, but the entire plan of the mystery in some way becomes present before mm -hmm. your sacramental eyes. And so what he, in this paragraph 1085, uh, towards the bottom here, the paschal mystery of Christ cannot remain only in the past because by his death, he has destroyed death and all that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for men participates in the divine eternity and so transcends all times while being made present in them. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything to itself. So all that Christ did for us is in some way present in the liturgy. He's present and active before us today as he was 2,000 years ago before 
Mary and Mary Magdalene and John before the cross. That same right. Paschal mystery is still really present, only the way we see it has changed. It's and now this is, seen in sacraments. This is why it's good not to think of the Mass as this thing you have to sit through to get the spiritual vitamin pill called the Eucharist. Right? Although there's a little bit of truth in that. The whole Paschal mystery is there. And part of it, the celebration is in the words, in the rite, in the vestments, in the music, in the building, in the architecture. To swim around in that liturgical jacuzzi, I'll never get tired of saying. And um, so if it's just a sense of like, okay, matter and form and words, and in, uh, we have a valid Eucharist, well, that's a basic, you know, minimum. But boy, to see liturgy is much more than that. The entire participation, the entire Paschal mystery to enter into an action, and you know, Kozel's Ka big on that. Right? You're, you're participating in the action of salvation and therefore attaining salvation by sharing in it. And so there you go. Active participation with a further, you know, wider sense of more than up and down and being a lector. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's so true. I mean, if you're going to participate in an action, you need to know what that action is. And that's what Kassel was so good at. And um, this is a little fresh on my mind and just doing the, the, the reading yeah. for Kassel. But you know, you remember Dennis in his day, he was kind of a controversial figure and people didn't, weren't quite ready for this type of his explanation mm -hmm. of what was, and to be sure he had some, uh, some things that weren't said clearly. And so you remember there's this big, uh, big debate about, uh, Pius XII's encyclical Mediator Day. And was he confirming Kozel's thought or was he denying Kozel's thought? So anyway, so the, the, when Kozel died, um, just to keep going further afield, you remember the circumstances of his death? Yeah, he died in the Easter Vigil, right? Saying yeah. mass. Yeah, he was serving as like a deacon or subdeacon. I don't know which one. Right before he sung, the, uh, right after he sung the last Lumen Christi, but before he intoned the Exultet, he died. So I mean, <clears throat> he died right in the midst of this action. So people, a lot of people have seen that as a you know very fitting way right. uh, for him to pass for the, or, or into this truth. Um. And can I stop you there for a second? You know, yeah, I have Thanksgiving yeah. on the brain because we're sort of near the holiday. It's recently passed as, as uh, this comes out. And it just came up in class the other day. If you said, well, my job is to get a little, a little spoonful of turkey and then I've completed my Thanksgiving experience, you'd be like, no, your job is to shop, is to prepare, is to think about Thanksgiving. It's to bring the sweet potatoes. It's to cook. It's to clean. It's to set the table. It's to have discussion, it's to say the prayer, it's to fall asleep in front of the football game afterward. That's participating in the Thanksgiving, not just sitting in the corner until the turkey comes out and then you get a bite and eat and run. And so take this to some kind of higher, much higher, infinitely higher sacramental systems. Okay, liturgy is more than getting the Eucharist and getting to your car before everybody else does. Uh, it's this That's participation. That's a great analogy. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and the, and. Again, Odo Kozel, I think, is the one that who, at least in, among liturgical movement figures, who you can see his hand in this paragraph 1085 explaining how big uh, the activity is, kind of like your Thanksgiving analogy, how big the action is uh, at the Mass. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and, yeah, go ahead. It makes the point this is a real historical thing, right? That his Paschal Mystery is a real event, occurred in history, but most events pass away. It says they're swallowed up in the past. What's different about this one? It's an eternal act because Christ is an eternal 
God, right? So it can't remain in the past. It's in the future. It's in the present. And we get to participate. Time collapses. This is the great thing. You know, David Fagerberg has that lovely little book, The Christian Meaning of Time. And he talks about that. Time is necessary for us because we, we are slow and we have to learn and think and choose for God. But his, uh, what they say here is divine eternity. So it's an act that's going on forever and is fulfilled forever. And we can sort of tap into it liturgically and participate in it. And uh, what does it say? The events of the cross and the resurrection abides and draws everything toward life. It's abide. It's just always there, always welcoming, always warming, always saying, please come and celebrate this feast. Yeah. Well, that's what's so sad is that uh, too few people see it and hear it taste it and smell it and touch it and then it yeah. just is kind of blah 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 which by the way is all the more reason to do it right right because if you dump imagine if your thanksgiving feast were as kind of lamely prepared as a typical six thirty a.m <laughs> sunday mass. it kind of will be this year guys thanksgiving is pretty <laughs> yeah. slim these days you don't you know you have a horrible Welcome. There's bad preaching. There's an ugly dining room. There's food that doesn't taste good. You know, there's nobody's dressed well. So well, this isn't important. So when the liturgy actually is brought out in its full sense, then it will reveal all this. And people say, oh, yeah, I get it. I don't know what, even if they don't know what it is. I don't know what that is, but it sure seems important. I don't know what that is, but it smells good, that incense. I don't know what it is, but it looks good, those windows, and they become attached to it. And so do it right so that people will want well, it and love it. Yeah, no, what it says, it will draw all people <laughs> through the incense, through the windows, through the preaching, through the music uh, to Christ. Mm-hmm. But you're right. So it, you know, as this section moves on then, right, so it's Christ's Paschal mystery that's present in the liturgy. So as, as it says in 1086 and 1087, he hands this on to uh, to the apostles and they pass it on to their successors. I like this line in 1087, uh, they become sacramental signs of Christ's that uh, the apostles and their successors are themselves somehow visible and audible signs of the invisible Christ. And to hear your bishop... bishop. <laughs> hey, watch it there, Christoph. <laughs> Sorry, you can edit that out, please. I hope so. <laughs> oh, no. Hear, Leave that hear, in. Your, hear your bishop uh, preach is to hear Christ preach. Uh, they're sacramental signs of Christ. And so it goes from Christ to the church uh, through the apostles and now at 1088 into uh, uh, the earthly liturgy. Yeah, I, I met somebody recently who was pretty good at golf and uh, had a golf teacher, who's not famous, uh, but he said to me, oh, my teacher studied, learned golf from somebody. It wasn't Tiger Woods, but it was somebody really, I don't remember the name, somebody really important. It's like, whoa, something that Tiger Woods taught you is, is now coming to me, right? And then I'm hearing about it from you. And you see how this kind of treasure of knowledge, understanding can be handed on. And the closer you are to it, the fuller it is. And if you hand it on carefully, you're going to have this kind of wisdom that comes forward. And if you don't, it'll just kind of, uh, you know, become paler and weaker. And so here's apostolic succession. Christ says to the apostles, this is how you get to see the face of the Father. Tell everybody you know, be in charge of that. Uh, passing on from generation to generation, and that method is primarily in the uh, in the liturgy, the earthly liturgy. But what's cool, like at ten eighty eight, so then it you know lifts this from Sacrosanctum Concilium. It says you know Christ is present in so many ways, present and working and active, right? So that 
Don't forget what this section is about, how it is that the Trinity works in the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Seeing how God the Father works, and now we're talking about how Christ works. So for him to carry out his work, he has to be present to do it. And he's right. present in the ministers and the sacraments where the church is gathered uh, and things like that. Something so of the host it, of Thanksgiving is present, not just in the turkey, right? But in the plates, the candles, the welcome, yeah. all of that stuff. So there's lots of ways that the host of the meal will say, welcome, I love you. Come, let me communicate myself to you. Take it to this infinite level and you can say, oh yeah, right? Word, sacrament, ritual, vestment, gesture. Sorry to interrupt you there, Chris. No, no, it's, uh, you know, about your Tiger Woods analogy or, you know, it's 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 similar to that, but different, right? Um, or kind of a six degrees uh, to Kevin Bacon or something mm -hmm. like that. Kevin Bacon is not there and Tiger Woods is not there in those instances. Mm, but in this instance, <laughs> in this instance, mm, in the mass, Tiger. just like the hostess of your uh, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, truly, really, and in some ways, substantially is present to do that work. Yeah, let's look at this list of ways that he's present. He's present in the sacrifice of the mass. Okay, so we know that. Not only in the person of his minister. Okay, so the minister, the priest, or the bishop. Who's is, a sacramental sign of Christ. Exactly. So he's the head of the, the body, right? So he's speaking to you in the homily. There's, you know, Christ's word from the Father made possible through the Holy Spirit. He's offering the sacrifice of Christ as Christ offers himself to the Father. So, you know, he's walking down the aisle of the nave as Christ came to the earth. He's stepping into the sanctuary as Christ went back to the Father in heaven. And then he turns around and brings the things of heaven to you in the Eucharist. And so what's God, what's Christ doing? All those things. How do we encounter that? The minister, the same offering through this ministry of priests. How about scripture? How's he present in scripture there? <laughs> well, if, uh, if we stick with this kind of sacramental perspective that the catechism suggests, it may, in fact, I don't know if you got to pray morning prayer uh, today, whichever day this is, um, it was this reading from Jeremiah. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. Mm. And even in, uh, it was one of the daily masses recently, it was uh, the image of John in the book of Revelation being handed the little scroll and he ate it. Yep. And so the thing is that the words of the mass and particularly the scriptural words are sort of audible signs of the eternal word. And so to hear the words of scripture announced is to hear kind of uh, the father's own dixitque uh, fiat lux is kind of his own speaking to you, sending that substantial word through the words of the scripture proclaimed at the liturgy so that you can sink your teeth into them and be nourished by them. And we, fact, cons yeah. we consume the word too. We consume the Eucharist, the word. Well, yeah, in, in a, in, see, in all of these things, in all of these ways, uh, you should be nourished on the music, on the architecture, on the words, on, on all of these. They're meant to be uh, conduits of the Christ life, which is what it said back in 1084. All that Christ did in the flesh 2,000 years ago, he's still doing and still kind of, what does it say, pouring a seat at the right hand? Uh, pouring out the Holy Spirit and his grace. He's still, these are the, the, the channels through which he pours that grace onto us. And you hear about these stories, you know, during the war, someone's in a prisoner of war camp or something or behind communist lines in a camp and they, they sneak out a message, you know, here, this little piece of paper, tell my wife and kids that I love them. And so the guy brings this little message to somebody and says, you know, your father loves you. He wants you to know he's okay. 
you're not actually hearing it from that guy's mouth, but you're hearing it communicated from somebody else through the written word, but nonetheless, the reality of the um, intention and what's true is, is made present there. I, I think, though, Dennis, uh, I think we could even push that, though. The, the, the hearing of the word in the liturgy is... Oh, it's more than what I just said, but I like these. Ana- yeah. I'm in full of analogies today for some reason. You're full of yeah, full of analogies. Yeah, yeah, full of something. All right. All right. I bet you like 1090. Which participates in the liturgy of heaven. I don't know anything about this. Learn me something good here, Chris. <clears throat> well, if I learned it, I learned it from you. Yeah, so this is that, uh, that eschatological dimension of the liturgy that it uh, not only kind of propels and draws uh, the church back to heaven um, when Christ will come again, but in some way we're even participating in heaven uh, now. So to go to to go to the liturgy and have it celebrated uh, especially well is um, it's a foretaste. Like it's Dennis, it's kind of like Thanksgiving, you know, when that turkey's not quite that done. That's a stupid you idea, get Chris. A, yeah, you get a little foretaste of that. Uh, well, when you walk turkey. in the house and you smell the turkey and then <laughs> you smell, smell the gravy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's the liturgy. It it's, smells like heaven, sounds like heaven, tastes like heaven. People act like they're in heaven, or supposed to, uh, when they go to the liturgy. So it's uh, Dennis. I think I've heard you call it before, kind of a dress rehearsal for going to heaven, so that when you when yeah. you get there someday, God willing, say, "Oh, I've been ready. here before. I know how to act." I'm Choir ready. practice. You know, eschatology. Interestingly, you might think eschaton. Well, what does that word mean? I know we're not on an etymological episode right now. But literally, it's ology, right? The speaking of, the study of, the word ex, ex in Greek. Um, huh. What is ex? Out of. Out. Uh, right. So it's the study of that which is furthest out, right? Most remote. So when you talk about the eschaton, you're talking about the end of linear time. It's the study of out. <laughs> the study of out there, far away, the end of time. Now, that's when this all this work we're talking about is done. The feast is ready. The work is done. We're there. And so we we have this foretaste of it so that we know what it is. I usually talk about the smell of chocolate chip cookies, even though raisin, oatmeal raisin are way better. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're lies. They're lies. But how about the smell? I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, my father a couple of times made uh, homemade stuffing. And he cut up onions and celery and carrots. And he was simmering those sauteing those in butter and the whole house smelled like onions, mm. celery and carrots. I was like, oh, I can't wait for that, that stuffing. And so here we have incense, song, vestments, gold, glittering gems, whatever. And we say, okay, here is this foretaste of heaven so that when we get there, we know what we're doing. And we're going to sing this, the songs on earth that'll be the same songs. Song to the, the heaven. Yeah, especially the song to but Gloria and Excelsis Deo. So all this preparation is much more than do this or God will fry me. It's do this or you won't be ready when the time comes. And so readiness, don't think of it as I've been walking on eggshells and, you know, when the moment I died, I was ready because I was not, you know, thinking about something else. Think of it as ready as prepared. I'm not ready to play in the NBA. I probably never will be. But if you want to play in the NBA, you better be ready in mind, body, the skill set, the nerves, how the muscles work and everything. Going to Mass is our prep for the great Olympics of eternity. All right. That means Jesse wants us to shut up. (laughs) All right. right. It's Jesse's way of saying that's enough. Summarize it, though. How does Christ work in the liturgy? He shows up. 
in multiple presences, communicates himself to us, asks us to participate in his own reality, leads us back to the Father, and prepares us so that we get to the pearly gates. And Peter says, do you belong here? Yes, I do. I have a gold medal already. Let me in. I might show up with a bronze, but that's okay. Yeah, well, then you go to Purgatory for a while until they polish it up to, <laughs> yeah, nice. to gold. Yeah. So right, think uh, of that. Yeah, Purgatory is like a basic training or a, what do you call it? Farm team. Finishing school. Yeah, finishing school. <laughs> I'm still talking, thinking about high, high, high high so. yeah, for, for the wedding banquet. All right, Chris, you want to answer a question that Dennis oh, yes, doesn't know I the do. answer to? Okay. Yeah. Which is like all of them. <laughs> all right. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this week we have a question from Sean. And Sean says... I'm going to start over. Okay, this week we have a question from Sean. And Sean says, what parts of the divine office are required to be prayed by deacons? All right. Well, I guess we'd have to make a distinction what kind of deacon we're talking about here. I mean, there's only one kind of deacon, really, but is it a uh, permanent deacon, as we say? Or, or a, a sub-deacon? What? No, well, yeah, <laughs> Stay out of there's this. a can of worms you just opened, but a uh, permanent deacon or a, a deacon who's on his way to priesthood, known as a transitional deacon. So I think, Chris, as we've looked this up, the permanent deacon one is fairly straightforward. The other ones are not as much. What do you say about permanent deacons? Chris Carstens, uh, my yeah, friend. Yeah, no, you're right. There's only one kind of deacon, but in terms of uh, the law that uh, binds them to pray the different hours, there's there's a distinction. So um, we could pull back the curtain, reveal how the sausage is being made here. Uh, we've been talking about this for about ten or fifteen Forever. minutes. Forever, right? Uh, trying to figure it out. It's yeah, not as clear as you would think. It is not. So, Dennis, you found that um, maybe the first place to start is the Code of Canon Law. Uh, Canon 276, paragraph 2, section 3, which says, Priests and deacons aspiring to the presbyterate, so those would be transitional deacons, are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper and approved liturgical books. Permanent deacons, however, are to, be, are to carry out the same to the extent defined by the conference of bishops. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, this is where we start, but there's two questions in my mind that still linger. Let's take the second one first about what has at least the Conference of Bishops in the United States determined about permanent deacons. Dennis, you found something, didn't you? Yeah, it's, um, what do they call it, the complementary norm. So that, I guess, means the local decision is authorized by the universal norm. And that they are required to include, this is permanent deacons, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours known as morning prayer and evening prayer. That's it. I guess technically, ideally, they do it all. But because... Usually they have families and jobs and everything. They are only bound by 
law to do morning and evening prayer. All right. Now, to the other question, it says, deacons aspiring to the presbyterate are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper and liturgical books. Uh, the question that we were asking ourselves, does that mean each of the seven hours? So mm-hmm. uh, office of readings, morning prayer, mid-morning prayer, midday prayer, mid-afternoon prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer? Or does it mean something else? Um, what it says right. in the general instruction of the liturgy of the hours, this is at number 77, it says, outside choir, without prejudice to particular law, it is permitted to choose from the three hours, the daytime hours, the one most appropriate to the time of day, so that the tradition of prayer in the course of the day's work may be maintained. Uh, so again, they're talking about the the, the daytime prayers, mid-morning, mid-day, and mid-afternoon. Uh, it's my understanding, perhaps wrongly, but that uh, secular clergy or transitional deacons would choose one of those three hours. So that would, means they would have to pray. Be, they'd be praying five of the hours. That's in addition to morning prayer, evening prayer, office of readings. Oh yeah, yeah. For a total of five hours, they. I don't think they have to do each of the the three daytime hours, but to choose one, as uh, as it says. Right. So, yeah. In addition to the others, I just want to make that clear. So this apparently somebody sent a dubium to the Congregation for Divine Worship in 2000 and asked this question. And in typical sort of Roman fashion, they said only an impoverished vision would look at this responsibility as fulfilling mere canonical <laughs> obligation. And then it sort of says it's basically the principle is everybody's supposed – I mean the priest is supposed to do the things they're bound to, right, which is the liturgy of the hours, I guess, with that – uh, clarification you just made, Chris. And then it gives examples of when they might be dispensed from it. So they're saying four masses a day. They're hearing hours of confession. They, it gives various reasons. But it basically, it says never out of laziness um, may they be um, omitted. But being merciful, the church says there are occasions. And that's all bound under law uh, there in 276. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the bishop can d- make certain dispensations too for right. his clergy and whatnot. Right. So. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, call your vicar for clergy if you have uh, local questions. They hopefully will know. Well, Sean's got a couple other questions in this email that I know that you guys were but so... we're out of time. <laughs> well, Sean, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or you can tweet Dennis at... DMAC Super Taster. Or you can tweet us at liturgyguys. Or you could send a dubium to the Vatican about Chris Carson's involvement in the Liturgy Guys podcast, and inevitably he'll find out about it. So, <laughs> Only an impoverished vision would want to know why Chris does not have Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.